want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of implied, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzig and I'm joined as ever by Sean Coletti. Sean, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, you and Zach Handlin have no idea what you unleash by having us do Invader Zim because I'm in the midst of Cartoon June. Oh yeah? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm on a rewatch of uh, Samurai Jack right now and I'm nice. going to be watching Avatar and a couple other things for the first time. Very cool. I made cool. my decisions. Yeah, any, uh, any Johnny Bravo in there? Come on. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I think uh, a rewatch of Courage will probably be before that. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. If if our listeners want to watch along, what should they? Uh, what are the first timers? If if you're willing to divulge for the first time, it'll be um, Avatar and Legend of Korra, and uh, I'll mention that again in just a moment. But what else? Adventure Time. I'm going to be doing Adventure Time later in the summer. There's one more. I'll remember it, so I'll, I'll post it on Twitter or something. Okay. Uh, yeah, that that's why Avatar is one of those ones that uh, I've been meaning to catch up with for forever. I'm just throwing this out there. If any of our critic friends are listening and wants to come on to do a DVD shelf on Avatar The Last Airbender, please email me because, you know, I would love to have a reason to push me to, to get watching with that. I think I even have the DVDs somewhere. They were like my default go-to Christmas gift for anybody that I forgot because I was like, I know the show is supposed to be awesome. So it's a really good, like, safe you know, backup Christmas gifts. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I already have it on DVD. I just haven't watched it, which is horrible. So I <laughs> I should probably join in on Cartoon June. I need to finish Adventure Time first. I, I finished the first uh, three seasons. And so now, uh, you know, those are the only, the only ones that have uh, DVD releases. So now it's a matter of waiting for things to come up on the Cartoon Network website. So so it, that will be a more lengthy process. But um, but I'm hoping to get that all caught up by, by Comic-Con. And uh, if, if I do get it caught up ahead, I'm, I will probably have to join you with that... Uh, with Cartoon June. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Well, you already spoke of Zach, of course. Zach Hanlon from the AV Club joins us this week at the DVD shelf to talk about Invader Zim. That was a lot of fun. That'll be coming at the end of the podcast. Uh, but before we do that, we also spoke with you guys this week. We've been running super long the last couple of weeks, so we're going to keep it brief this week uh, with this opening uh, segment of the podcast. Just uh, quickly heard from Carl, who says that uh, after watching Broadchurch, the American remake looks like it comes from a weird, weird alternate universe, which makes him want to watch the Spanish remake, Metastasis, so much. Uh, and he's curious if, if we have any thoughts on these kinds of, of remakes in general. Uh, I did not know there was a Spanish Broadchurch. Are you going to check out Spanish Broadchurch, Sean? <laughs> I mean, I have a, a relative grasp on Spanish, so I probably could, but the fact that David Tennant's not in it is very disappointing. Well, I mean, come on. The man only has so much time, I guess. But uh, <laughs> as far as remakes in general go, it's very easy to get down on American remakes or or British remakes of American, you know, like going across the pond like that. But I think it's important to remember that back before we had the internet and everybody knew when this was happening, a lot of a lot of really amazing American shows 
are remakes of British shows. So, for example, Sanford and Son, for example, Three's Company, for example, All in the Family. There's a lot of really, really great American uh, sitcoms that actually started in the UK and, and even vice versa. So, so just because it's a remake does not mean that it uh, is going to be bad. Of course, there's also the, the TV landscape is littered with the shells of former remake attempts. Uh, if you can find the uh, the American remake of, of the IT crowd, for example, the, that pilot's floating around there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, or, or God, let us, let us never forget the American remake of Coupling. I think what I'm curious your thoughts on this. I think what makes it trickier now is that the original is so available for people that the creators feel like they need to adhere to it strongly it's not like they see a show and go okay there's an in jumping off point here for this show to be remade into something else in another country it's that show is successful we want to make the same show but just without the accents or something um and 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 so that lack of fluidity with characters or or premise can lead to problems for example life on mars uh so, so I think that that's my hypothesis, at least, why it seems to be less successful now than it was, say, in the sixties or seventies. Uh, any, any theory? You know, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, that seems counterintuitive. That like the more readily available it is, the more people have seen it, and yet the impetus is like make it similar. <laughs> like that, that doesn't make sense, but that seems to be the case with a lot of things. So I'd rather see like more creative adaptations and. Who knows, you know, whether Grace Point being set in a different location will be enough of a difference. But just based on the trailer, it kind of doesn't look like it. So yeah, well, and also keep in mind, uh, Homeland is an adaptation. The Bridge is an adaptation. The Killing is an adaptation. There are plenty of other adaptations of of international TV that are going on right now that have been hugely successful. Uh, it's just they right now they're not the British ones. If there's a more, more of a disconnect, if there's a language disconnect that seems to have a similar kind of success rate where we're not trying to make the exact same show, even with the same cast. And so there's more freedoms taken and therefore it can be its own, its own beast. Um, I look forward to that. You know, I think it's a fun trend and I, more than anything though, I, I'd like to see some of these other series that are so good that they're prompting uh, international attention. I'd just like to see the originals air here, you know, like other people who have seen Borgen. It would be nice. Yeah. But uh, that that's uh, hopefully that answers your question, Carl. Also, uh, talked briefly with with Swedge on Twitter about Fargo because, of course, I last week we talked about his his comment that he was disappointed with last week's episode. He thought of, of Fargo. He thought it was a step down, whereas the rest of us were all super excited about it. So we talked a little bit about that on on Twitter and. Uh, and I guess what he was saying was that the the jump down in realism in last week's episode was a problem for him. He felt like all the cops were being super uh, gullible or obviously not Molly, but in general, the approach of the police officers and, and these other characters in the world, they felt more cartoonish and less realistic. And then after this week's episode, he felt like it even doubled down on that. So he was, he's disappointed in that approach in the show in the past couple of weeks and any thoughts or shall we shall we save it for that section uh i I definitely think there's some validity to that but yeah we'll save it for the fargo section and uh we will we'll get more into feedback next week guys but for now let's take a break and come back with our week in comedy
this week in reality and comedy, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the So You Think You Can Dance premiere, and then we'll talk Enlisted, Prank War, the Silicon Valley finale, Optimal Tip-to-Tip Efficiency, uh, Veep, the debate, and then, of course, Louie, Elevator Part 6, and Pamela Part 1. And uh, this week in reality, we had the, the season 11 premiere of So You Think You Can Dance, and I just, I love this show so much. I really, I'm going to keep p- pestering you about this, Sean, until you eventually watch some of it, because the show is awesome uh and i do i do honestly feel that people should watch like it's a good thing in our lives if people watch so you think you can dance it's a show of the people of this very small group of highly talented teenagers and 20 somethings people but uh it makes me it may it, you know this is how i would like reality shows to be done we don't spend time with people who aren't talented we don't mock people there's a really there a pervasive air of positivity about about dance about art about creativity about expression that that just goes through every element of what is presented to viewers at least of the show it's a very grueling process for the contestants and the judges but instead of focusing on that element we get to focus on watching people like, try to express themselves um through dance and it's it's very it's just wonderful i I enjoyed seeing everybody uh waiting in line in chicago uh or as they call it shiberia because it was very cold here not that long ago uh so that was pretty fun just you know for me but in general i there there aren't any huge standouts yet and um I, I look forward to what comes next, the rest of the finishing up the audition rounds. Uh, Christina Applegate, who is the best guest judge, Sean, it just, she wins at guest judging on these shows. Um, and that's the episode I'm going to make you watch uh, at some point, as much as I'm able to. Um, she's going to be coming back for one of the the audition rounds and then hopefully later in the show as well. And uh, so I'm particularly looking forward to that. But it's another season, so you think you can dance and... Uh, I look forward to what is undoubtedly headed our way. This whole Justin Bieber thing, though, got to say, not happy about that. I do not care about the group competition, the dance crew competition or whatever. I really could do without that. I certainly don't need Justin Bieber's face uh, uh, in the middle of the episode. It's like, come on, guys. I'm trying to, this is like this whole positivity got me totally stoked, this whole episode, and then Bieber pops up, and and I just kind of ruined it all for me but um i'm hoping that'll be kept to a minimum each week uh and anything that gets more people to watch which theoretically ensures the show continuing is a good thing so i'm just kind of thinking of it as a commercial or product placement or something i don't know but that's that's so you think you can dance and i will be checking in with that over the rest of the season let's move on to the comedies and we'll kick things off with enlisted prank war now this is one of the first episodes that was sent to the screener to critics so i saw this one in january uh, and this was actually the episode, it, one of the moments in this episode is the moment that took me from, I'm not, it's, it seems like it's good to, yeah, yeah, this is a flawed episode, but, but I like this show. And uh, so I was very glad to get to watch it with y'all and live tweet it. Uh, what did you think about, about Prank War? What was the, the moment that took you there? The, the moment was the reaction of Randy and Derek to the mustache and what the mustache oh, yeah. was just, I, okay. I, I will never not know this happened. And yeah. that moment of performance was just like, Mwah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying having it back for the next few weeks. So I usually am really stubborn. I have like these really arbitrary rules about watching television. And one of them is if a show 
gets canceled and or like pulled or something, then I'm not gonna like give it my time when the network clearly didn't give it uh, enough of its effort and time. But obviously, like I'm not gonna miss these episodes of Enlisted, and so there's always exceptions to that. I thought that this was good. This was uh, the introduction of. Schneeberger, is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> Which was a lot of fun. We did see him already, but this this was intended to be his first episode. And uh, he was in, what, the Mondo Spider one? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh, that was lovely. Just everything with uh, Sir and, and talking on the phone with his dad. Just delightful. Uh, wh- what was the what was the best prank for you? Um, <laughs> uh, just all of the, the pranks that Jeff Stoltz theorizes about doing and the ones that he's done in the past just just that he doesn't realize what he's thinking about as pranking is actually like violence yeah people like violent murder yeah Yeah. that was pretty great and just this realization that yeah when you look at families rarely is especially if it's an eldest son rarely is the eldest uh son who is more physically imposing gonna be the prankster, which I just I, that element of the family dynamic is something I particularly appreciated. And also Mike Rice was tweeting out about this just uh, as an FYI, in case there are those of you who are out there who are watching Enlisted but aren't following the live tweets, which I feel like there isn't because there's like 30 of us watching and we're all on Twitter while we do so. But all of the every prank that is in this episode was given to them by members of the military. Perfect. So there's like, you know. An extra little nugget of delightfulness there uh, with those. I, I liked, uh, was it Jamort uh, running to the door to talk about Breaking Bad? I was like, I resemble yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, what, what did he say? Is clearly like season five, it sounded like he was saying? Yeah, it's like, oh, that's a great question. I'm glad that you, and then Saran Rep. Uh, yeah. ABC, you gotta like ABC, and just be the taped to the duct tape to the wall i mean there's there's it was it's it was a lot of fun it's not their best episode it's you know not everything lands but they were still finding their feet when they were making that one and uh, i look forward to the final three episodes uh let's talk about another show that has certainly found its feet in its first season and that's silicon valley uh optimal tip to tip efficiency there that finale i i thought it was really very well done it's been a great season for them and just the whole the 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 sequence at the whiteboard is a thing of beauty it's wonderful the commitment to that is so amazing and admirable i i'm really it started to go in i was like oh yeah this is funny like this this falls in line with what silicon valley does and then it just keeps going and going uh, and i was laughing out loud until that was done yeah, well, and what I particularly appreciate about it is that it is derived... Yes, it's funny, but it is derived entirely from character. And this is what these people would do. And this is what myself... I Obviously not talking about hand jobs, but this is the kind of thing that I would do with my friends or with my family. Uh, taking something to its absurd, ridiculous end. Uh, and, you know, well, yes, obviously it's a ridiculous statement, but now if it let's accept that this is a not ridiculous statement and continue like it's just wonderful. And to see them do the the house moment, you know, where they see the, the one thing and that triggers and then they know what the cure is. Only it's, you know, obviously with with coding to have it be this. I was just, it was just it was just wonderful. The detail there, the one that I would point to is when Guilfoyle realizes, no, it's stick to floor it's not necessarily the height of the people yeah 
that was perfect. Yeah, it's just it's great. Oh, any other, like any other parts of this episode that we want to highlight? The, the awkward presentation that Richard gives was really cringy at first, and then obviously it, it turns into a huge success, and that worked for me. Like they've not really gone those, I guess, traditional TV ways of doing that kind of thing, um, but that was a lot of fun. How do you think they're handling the death of Christopher Evan Welch? They've just had the character off screen the past couple episodes. Uh, are you hoping that they address the actor's death, like kill off the character, or or do you want them to continue having him? What was he on Safari, right? In yeah. uh, or something like that, like a spirit quest. What did you think of that approach? Uh, that's fine for this season. I would though prefer like that they address that in some way when they come back. Well, and it seems. I mean, I don't know what the timeline of all of this is, like when everything was produced, but the the fact that we have uh, the the character saying that Peter Gregory is going to be more hands-on next season seems like it, I mean, it makes sense for the character, but it seems like it presents them with a larger problem for how they're going to handle that relationship next season. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, everybody drink up. We're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah. But I'm glad that it's getting a second season and that we will be able to, because this is one. This is one of the best uh, uh, comedy finales of the year so far, and uh, it's also was paired very nicely. Uh, unless you have any other thoughts, shall we move on to Veep? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I thought it was one of the best episodes of Veep all season. I laughed out loud consistently throughout this episode, particularly at the beginning, particularly at the end, but. But throughout, uh, my review is up at the AV Club if people want to read it. I I had two pages of quotes from the episode that made me laugh. And, I, and so trying to write a review of this episode was, was somewhat challenging to not have it just turn into the Chris Farley show. And then when they were talking about the hair, that that was awesome. And then when <laughs> when they were talking about the R's and the three F's, that was awesome. I mean... I just really enjoyed this episode. Uh, did it work as well for you as it seemed as it clearly did for me? Uh, this probably was my favorite of the season. Maybe the whole series. Just having it uh, something like a debate to structure around definitely works in its favor. I was trying to think. I'd have to rewatch the the Parks and Rec debate, but uh, that's that's certainly up there in terms of those kinds of episodes. And man, yeah, all of the gags, the hair. The, the coach uh, just blocking Selena so that she has to kind of like awkwardly hunch and then try and get onto the camera. The plug! Uh, oh, God, yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, All five of them had some fantastic moments. Well, and, and for me, the highlight wasn't even the debate. It was everything around it. I really liked that they brought uh, Backdoll back. Uh, of course, we enjoyed him on Legit, but, you know, that furlough character was, was great all through the opening portion, of, you know, like his his reaction to new Dan and uh, like some of the stuff that they gave Catherine to do with uh, like her reaction to new Dan, uh, Jackson, right? Jackson's joke was like, yeah, that's, that, that's a joke, right? It, it was that, <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. You know, like it, it just really worked for me. And then adding the physical comedy of that, that twitch from Julie Louis-Dreyfus, it was hilarious. Baseball, baseball, baseball. <laughs> oh my goodness! At the end, uh, the well, I don't know about Danny Chung's policy, but I did learn that he was a soldier. I learned that several times tonight. <laughs> was, during uh, as the credits were rolling, as well, just having Dan talk to Jonah was uh, a nice payoff of all of that. His transition from from was it Looney, uh, uh, George Looney, at the beginning to like 
no, he's back to his horrible, horrible self by the end. I, I thought it really worked. And, um, yeah, I'm looking next week is a two parter or not two parter, but they're airing the last two episodes back to back. So it's going to be episode nine of Game of Thrones, which all episode nine of Game of Thrones are, are epic are super epic. This one should be no exception. And then the final two episodes of Veep. I'm going to have a nice Sunday of TV coming this, uh, this next week. Uh, any other thoughts on Veep or shall we round things out with Louie? Let's go to Louie, which is the funniest of all comedies. We have uh, Elevator Part 6 and Pamela Part 1. Uh, which of these two... I don't even say which of these two worked better, because they were so they were so different. Uh, let, let's start with Elevator Part 6. How did this cap this six-episode arc for you? I'm so glad it's done, because this has been really, really stressful to watch. The whole hurricane sequence, I just wanted it to be over with, and just to move on to something calmer. Because I, given what they've done with Jane, at least, like, I was I, worried. I was worried, yeah, exactly. You know, so um, the the conversation between Louis and Amia at the end with the interpreter at the restaurant, I thought was quite good. It wasn't like as powerful as, um, and so did the fat lady. Like that whole sequence, obviously, like that's kind of setting a really high standard for those types of moments in the Louis season. But um, it it was fine. I would say. I I think that worked for me a little bit more than it did for you. I particularly enjoyed the interpreter, like the, the waiter's reactions to everything and watching that progress was, was really, it was really nice. The, um, yeah, the storm sequence was harrowing particularly. I, I, I appreciated it where, where it really hit me was Janet being so messed up because she's always so controlled. She's always on top of everything. She's always, She's always got it down. She's always reliable. And so to see her complete, just freaking out and not able to, you know, he needs to just kind of hold her a little bit and let her just release some of this anxiety that she's got building up. Um, That was, that was really effective. And I'm just, it makes me glad I wasn't around in New York for Hurricane Sandy because we don't get hurricanes where I live. And I'm glad about that. Um, Yeah. It's been a nice arc. I appreciate a couple sites that like Slate put up um, all of the scenes with Amia talking, but with subtitles for the mm-hmm. Hungarian. That's I've appreciated looking and you know, watching those, and I think it is a really nice end to to that storyline. Um, yeah, it it was that at the very least. A couple of little details from that episode that I enjoyed were Louis grabbing a banana from the drawer <laughs> and putting it into his pockets, and also like. Those birthday you know, people, candles. Yeah. People talk about, you know, in a theoretical nuclear holocaust, uh, you know, cockroaches and, and Twinkies survive. I like that that Hertz is just doing okay during a hurricane. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. On the whole, I, I don't know how successful it has been for me in relation to the, the other multiple part episodes. Like, I still, I think I enjoyed the the late show three-parter more as a whole, but, you know, I look forward to, to watching all of them again, like as a movie sort of, uh, you know, one after the other, after the other. And I, I, and seeing what, what I see in it the next time that I watch, I guess. That's, that's totally fair. And to make that comparison, I don't even know. Like, I honestly think that late show is like the single best hour of television ever. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, if only for David Lynch, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that—that's emotional stuff for me. 
Well, and, and when we talk about David Lynch and the great guest stars that that episode had, uh, the or that s- series had, the um, you know, we, we obviously were introduced to the Doctor, the Charles Grodin character, this season, but. I, I mean, I think my favorite moment with him so far is what we get with him in Pamela Part 1, his talk about heartache and uh, just wishing that he could have his heart trashed, that he cared enough about someone to have his heart broken. That was really powerful, but delivered in this nice, sort of detached kind of way that I, I really appreciated. I think that was probably, it's certainly the the least controversial part I liked of this ep- second episode of the, of the week. It was an astute observation to talk about um the missing being the best part about love and it was also really funny just to have him call louis the most boring person he's ever met (laughs) uh yeah the rest of the episode gets kind of tricky what what i like most though is that it felt like the longest stand-up routine that we've seen Mm -hmm. i i was laughing out loud i love that i mean what feminist stand-up I'm going to enjoy it. Shock and astonishment. Uh, but that's, that's some, it's very similar to some of the other standup I've heard from Louis in the past. And so I, I, you know, I, I was not surprised to see that. Uh, and yeah, you're right. It, I kept waiting for it to end. I kept, he kept getting to like these nice lines that felt like they could be, you know, the tag and then keep, you know, then it kept going. So it was really nice to get just an extended standup routine. It's the first extended standup routine since what, maybe model. Yeah, and it was even longer than that, so this has been one of the longest ones on the show, I think. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, talking about that stand-up means we can't put it off any further. (laughs) So, Louis chases his friend around his apartment and, and basically says, Hey, you were interested in me a couple weeks ago, so that means that now I get we have we get to be together and you don't get to change your mind and i get to you know block you physically block you from leaving if you don't accept my advances so uh, uh there was the whole aspect of her also kind of being groggy and then there was like the comedic part of her face just her face as he's trying to kiss her mhm which was like hilariously disgusted, but then it's it's a rather deplorable scene. But then obviously it's supposed to be, and then Louis is like, "Yes," afterwards, as if what just happened was a good and a successful thing. Yeah, and 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 I think you know an important thing to emphasize, like you said, everything, all the complicated emotions we're having about this are there. They're intentionally there and that's why we get that long that's a, you know also it's funny but that's part of why we get that long stand-up about how it sucks to be a woman in in america still comparatively and uh you know that's that's the show's way that's louis ck's way of saying okay so here's this thing you don't know what's coming next but but i do so guys <laughs> either one just because someone has progressive stand-up doesn't mean that they can't make choices that they that are you know re- re- that are regressive and and violent or uh, uh re- repressive um or also yeah okay just just go with me trust me there's this is going somewhere and that's the biggest takeaway i have about this is pamela part two and Pamela part three are coming not next week but the week after and so i think it for me at least a big part of my reaction to this episode will be seeing where they go with it 
And I think another important part of this is that we know we know Pamela from previous seasons. And so, yes, she's groggy and tired. And yes, he's being he's basically a- attacking her um, in his nonviolent kind of Louis way. Um, but I think we're also supposed to know that we're also supposed to read that she's kind of messed up still by whatever went down with her ex uh, when, when, you know, that she went over, you know, I don't remember, was it like Spain or Paris or something? Uh, Spain, I think, yeah. Yeah, and then she, you know, the way that she talked to Louis and tried to say, hey, let's give this a shot was super awkward and uncomfortable in a similar way to how we see her here, but that doesn't make anything that Louis does okay. I mean, so it's just, it's super complicated. It's not as straightforward as she does not want to be with this guy. She does not want to pursue a relationship with him and he's harassing her. I do think that we're supposed to read this as more complicated on her front, that she put herself out there with, with this ex and it didn't work out. She put herself out there with Louis and he rejected her. And so she now she's all closed off. You know, so I, I think it's supposed to be complicated and congratulations it succeeds <laughs> succeeds in spades yeah that relationship is messed up so drink will have to wait and see what happens with the conclusion to her arc which i'm really interested in now yeah yeah there's there's a lot to unpack with this episode but we could be here all day so uh what this week what wins your week in comedy the for me the louis award does not go to louis the Louis Award goes to a non-Louis show. Yeah, the best comedy this week is not Louis for me. I'm shocked to to say that. Um, I'm I'm torn between Silicon Valley and Veep. Uh, what what are you going with? Um, are you going with Louis? Uh, I don't know how to be like objective about it, but since you're gonna deviate, I'll give the Louis Award to Silicon Valley. Okay, you're giving it to Silicon Valley, then that that frees me up to give it to Veep. So we're spreading the love. Uh, but yeah, it was a really good. Uh, one-two punch there on HBO, and I look forward to people's thoughts on Louie this week, specifically on, on Pamela Part 1, because it's a good conversation to have. It's just a, a, a tricksy one. So with with that, we will take a break and come back with uh, a new recurring segment for the summer, uh, Sean's Freshman Report Card. So Sean's going to break down the the new CBS shows of the season right after this. what will be a recurring segment you're going to take a look at each of the new shows that have been airing on a particular network this season and kind of let people know which ones they should be coming back for which ones they should catch up with over the summer which ones they should just write off and this week is is cbs how has cbs been faring for you in general this season both the new shows and the the returning favorites um 
they've been relatively solid on their returning. I've not caught up with either the good wife or person of interest, but the episodes that I have seen of both of those from this season or these seasons have been good. Uh, I thought elementary was a step up from its first season. I think that's the extent of the, the other things that I watch on CBS. That's probably the, the network that I have the least amount of familiarity with. And then like, the new series just get a lot more complicated in terms of that, like, uh, my feelings about them. But what about you? Well, obviously, people know I'm a big fan of The Good Wife. <laughs> get anybody listen to our segment about season five uh, with, with Noel Kirkpatrick and Sonia Soraya for, you know, knows that I have really enjoyed this season. As for Elementary, I, I agree it's been it's been a good season. Um, yeah, I, there, you know, we ha- I have some some worries about where that might be going next season but for this season in general it's been a good one and that's about it for for cw shows for me i mean i enjoyed parts of the amazing race this season but i've also had frustrations i mean any of the shows we cover week to week you guys pretty much already know where i stand on them and there aren't other cbs shows that i've really been been keeping up with i have been keeping up with the crazy ones and uh i watched most of that season and i did watch an episode of mom uh, because, because of course you put up in the the last closing minutes of <laughs> why you should be watching month. Uh, Sean put up an article about mom and an article about rain. So, so I did check out an episode of mom, and we'll talk about that one, I'm sure, at some point here. But uh, where do where do you want to kick off with these shows? Um, okay. Well, I'll I'll say at the top, like I had mentioned earlier, my arbitrary rules about watching television, and I'll kind of outline what I did with all of the the network freshman shows, anything that premiered in the fall. I made a point to watch all of those episodes up until the Christmas hiatus, and then I decided after that point whether to dro- whether to drop some or not. And then all mid-season mid-season shows uh, I've watched in their entirety. So uh, the new CBS shows that have premiered this year are Hostages, The Millers, We Are Men, The Crazy Ones, Mom, Intelligence, Bad Teacher, Friends with Better Lives, and I've seen way too much of all of those. You've seen any We Are Men, you've seen too much We Are Men. Yeah, the the late Lamented We Are Men, which got two episodes, I think. Lamented? Um, really? Lamented? No, not Lamented at all. <laughs> so, in terms of the report cards, uh, like, six of these eight shows automatically gets a, a disqualified, or what do they call them? Uh, like a dropout? Withdrawn? Withdrawn, yeah, because they've been cancelled. So, Hostages, We Are Men... The Crazy Ones, Intelligence, Bad Teacher, and Friends with Better Lives have already been canceled. So that's six of uh, CBS's eight new series right there. Well, and of these six, are there any that you would recommend that people, you know, that maybe, you know, they have strengths and weaknesses, but, you know, they're ones that are worth seeking out. Like you were saying about Enlisted, that just be, normally if it's canceled, you're, you know, you're not interested, but you're still going to keep watching it uh, in the case of Enlisted are any of these canceled shows ones that you think people should go to the CBS website to, to watch before they get taken down? Certainly, yeah. The the woulda, coulda, shoulda award goes to The Crazy Ones, which wasn't one of the best new sitcoms, I don't think, because there were a few really solid ones in like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Trophy Wife and a couple other ones. But it's really just the strength of that cast. And I mean like all five of those regulars. And not even so much like Robin Williams and Sarah Michelle Gellar, who were both fine, but the other three, uh, James Wall, Camish Linklater, and Amanda Seton, that cast had really, really good chemistry and kind of made not-so-funny material much funnier than I would have expected. So 
of all of the canceled ones, that would be the one that I would recommend checking out. Well, and that's what kept me watching for mu- much of the season. I mean, the yes, I have an affinity for Sarah Michelle Gellar due to my un- undying love for Buffy, but uh, but that wasn't enough of a reason for me to keep watching, as anyone who followed my saga of Ringer will know, you know, a year or, t- or so ago. Um, but I, I agree. James Wall, Commander Satin, uh, Hamish Linklater, even just some of the recurring people that came back uh, a few times, they, they did have a very... A core ensemble that that did work and was better maybe than the material they were given and i look forward to i'm sure like especially particularly i'm sure james wolf will pop up again i'm sure amanda Sedgen will pop up again i'm sure hamish linklater will pop up again so i look forward to seeing these people in their next projects i just i'm I need James Wolk to have a show that is that lasts and that he is good enough for him. Having hunted out the, those two episodes of Lone Star that aired um, for Pilot Month forever ago, whenever that last was at Sound on Sight. Yes, he's great as Bob Benson. Yes, he's good here. He's he's so good in that Lone Star pilot, and he's he's a fantastic actor, comedic and dramatic, and he needs somebody needs to find the right vehicle for him because. Damn, that man is good. Yeah, yeah, all, all three of them. And like you said, they'll all have new things coming up, I'm sure. Um, I don't know if Amanda Seton would or could come back to the Mindy Project, but uh, she was much better in the crazy ones, I thought, than the material she was given on that. So they'll all be with jobs relatively soon, I would yeah, imagine. Fingers crossed. Okay, well, well, then what about the final two? The final two, okay, the Millers gets a failing grade for this year, and I will not be coming back to that in any way, and I actually dropped it at the Christmas hiatus. Um, The reason that I made an effort to kind of keep going with all of these shows to some extent is because I always get, like, a little bit iffy about, you know, critics might see one or two episodes at the beginning, and that will kind of, like, color the opinion permanently. And so, like, the Millers became just kind of the butt end of, like, the fart joke and that was fine. Like, I don't think that that's offensive or anything to the creators or anything because they crafted a pilot in which that happens. Um, but it probably shouldn't be defined by those qualities. But but the Millers did not get any better. Like, even with a great cast um, and some good supporting roles as well. Like, I didn't don't think I laughed at all in any of those episodes, which is a huge problem. And the fact that that got the Big Bang Theory lead-in versus something like Mom or the Crazy Ones is really unfortunate and bad pairing and bad scheduling as far as I'm concerned. Okay, what about Mom then? Mom gets the only passing grade, and it will graduate, and I will continue watching it uh, into the next season. I I got a lot of things, I got a lot of nice things to say about Mom. There, it certainly has its flaws, and I don't think it was the best new sitcom from the networks, but the balance that it struck between comedy and drama was really, really surprising. And more often than not, it felt like a Louis, like a drama series kind of with a comedic backdrop. And not a surprise, I cried like several times throughout this season, including the finale. Like they really got me invested in a lot of these characters and a lot of what they were going through. And just also balancing Christie's recovery arc along with the the pregnancy of her daughter, Sadie Calvano's character, um, those coalesced perfectly at the same time, and that was 
really, really enjoyable and a really great cap to the season. Yeah, it, you know, it was an emotional finale, and I had seen the pilot because I watch all the pilots, and you know, had had some issues in that pilot of how it was using the the recovery storyline. It felt like they wanted it to be a punchline and also to then turn around and be dramatic. And I was very happy to see in this finale that they aren't playing the recovery, you know, the the her her um, alcoholism for laughs anymore that's good because it shouldn't be something that is a laugh about circumstances around it sure but when you have a character an alcoholic staring at a glass of wine and really wanting to drink from it that for me is not a funny moment that's a nervous moment that's an anxious moment that is a not happy things are happening in that person's life moment so i was very glad the way that everything was handled in this finale and um you know the Choosing to to end the season not at the hospital with the daughter and like the all the generations of women, but instead to end it at AA was was very touching and and the, the cataloging of, of of stresses and conflicts over the course of the season or the course of the year was very effective for me. So uh, I, I enjoyed Kevin Pollock. So seeing where that goes with uh, his character and the Allison Janney character could be fun. Um, I, even in it, like the few minutes with, with him, I still, the, the, the boyfriend is not the, sorry, the, the, the youngest mom's boyfriend, uh, is just not funny to me, but you know, a lot of the stuff in this episode really did work. That balance of comedy and heart did really come together in this, in this last episode for me. So I may check in next, next season. I don't think I'll watch it week to week, but you're right. This is one that deserves another look. Good. Yeah, I'll, I'll point out key episodes maybe as, as that season goes on. So direct me to the yeah and listeners as well. I threw this out to Twitter and got no responses. So <laughs> it's because nobody's watching Mom. Nobody's watching Mom. But you know, if you would direct me to the the highlights of this first season that I should catch up with, I I would you know I would look forward to that. I'm glad that like everything the restaurant seems to just pretty much be gone. At least, at least in the finale, and that's a good move as far as I'm concerned. Um, they they picked on that, picked up on that immediately. That that like not good material was coming out of that, and then they they transferred all of that uh, creative energy to like some of the pals in AA, and that paid off a lot better. And actually, one of the best moments in the whole season was related to one of those Oct- Octavia Spencer's character who got some really funny material but who also probably got like the best emotional moment of the whole season and there's a, some good emotional moments in this finale so if this wasn't the emotional high point of the season that's an episode i should check out um so any final thoughts on on cbs going into next year um like i said it's just gonna be mom based on these freshmen freshmen shows uh but I'll, I'll be watching a few more returning things i'm, I'm gonna catch up with some of those after cartoon june so <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that wraps up Sean's freshman report card for CBS next week. What what what, uh, what network are you thinking of next week? It's looking like the schedule is going to be Fox, then ABC, then the CW, and then we'll finish with NBC, which got first place this year. So that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll next week we'll talk about Fox. So if you guys uh, have any thoughts on the the freshman Fox series, let us let us know, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. 
week in genre and drama, I'm going to preview Power and Murder in the First. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Supernatural pilot with this week's Make Sean Watch installment. Then we'll talk Game of Thrones, The Mountain and the Viper, Penny Dreadful, Demimond, Fargo, Who Shaves the Barber, Orphan Black, Knowledge of Causes and Secret Motion of Things. And we'll finish things up with In the Flesh, Episode 4 of Season 2. So first, Power is a new show that's starting up this Saturday on Stars. I've seen the first three episodes. It follows um, a drug dealer named Ghost who is opening up a club, night, a nightclub, in the hopes of being able to transition to being a legitimate businessman. His... His childhood friend uh, that he runs his business with is not interested in this and neither is his wife, um, who is very much a partner in his dealings. Uh, also, we have returning at the same you know same time as this nightclub opens up, returning into his life is his childhood sweetheart, who is now an AUSA uh, and who is on a, a drugs task force, not targeting him. In, in the pilot, but uh, target, targeting one of his associates and, um, you know, a larger, a bigger fish that he's dealing with. So we have a conflict of, you know, this man trying to get out of this uh, violent, dangerous business and to go legit, but, you know, surrounded by people keeping him who are benefiting from his lifestyle as it is right now, as well as that conflict between this this you know lost love and his his family now so uh there, there's a lot going on there there are several things about this that are interesting first of all unfortunately this is something i can't believe i'm saying this but it, i feel like it kind of has to be said it's nice to see a show about people who aren't middle middle to upper class really upper class white suburbanites it's uh there's very few of those on most uh most television so it's nice to have a show with a black lead. It's all about him and his and his uh, family and his you know his struggles and what he's you know trying to deal with. It that's just unfortunately that's something that I feel like I actually have to say. Hopefully that will soon no longer be the case on on TV. But right now, there's not many of them. So I appreciate that this is a different kind of story being told. Unfortunately, it's not different enough for me from something like the uh, the Stringer Bell, Avon Barksdale content in, in The Wire that it feels particularly fresh or new. I'm sure for some people, I mean, it's well made, it's it's well performed, there's uh, some some nice uh, character beats in there, and there's some, some good decisions made early on that I appreciate with the arcing of these of these narratives and um and for a star show it does not it does not have the seemingly necessary ridiculous sex scenes that are in there because it's on stars in the way that a show like black sales had very much in its pilot um these do feel like fleshed out characters i feel like three-dimensional people who exist when they're not on screen um it's just not a original enough story for me that I that I particularly care to, to follow it week in and and week out. I, I'm just I'm tired of anti-heroes and uh, I mean this is a this is a more compelling anti-hero uh or you know cuz he's trying to be a hero which is something different than most of the anti-hero shows on TV right now. But again, I feel like I've seen a lot of the beats of this with 
that Avon Barksdale and uh, Stringer Bell storyline on on the wire. So hopefully that's something that will shift and change. They think there is potential here. It's going to be covered at Sound on Site Weekly, so I'm sure I'll be aware of it. Um, And I guess I'll have to check in, decide in, in three or four weeks if I want to watch the next episode that I haven't already seen but um that I did want to mention it because that is a new show that's starting up this week on stars and I I applaud them doing a different kind of story with with this show so there's 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 that one there's also murder in the first which is starting up on TNT and this is a um this is a new cop show or crime serial that uh will be following one or two cases over the course of the entire season. It stars Tay Diggs as well as uh, several other actors that people will recognize. Tom Felton shows up in a recurring role for the Harry Potter fans out there. Um, This, you know, I'm not, again, this is one where it's, I feel like, okay, I'm watching the show. It's, it's, it's fairly well done. The, the report that I enjoy the two actors that, that are the, uh, the lead detectives. I enjoy some of what they're doing with the, the Wunderkind, you know, Yahoo, Google Clovis stand in kind of uh figure that Tom Felton is playing. There's some stuff there that could be interesting, but I mean, this is, this is co-created by Steven Bochco, but I just couldn't get around watching this thinking, I wish I was watching Homicide Life on the Streets instead. Um, this does feel very familiar. It, it could, but, you know, again, I've only seen the first episode. It could grow into something more interesting. There are people who will appreciate this season-long approach to to a story. And, I mean, it's Tay Diggs is very likable in the lead. Uh, and Kathleen Robert, Robertson, who some people will remember from Boss, she was one of the... the not particularly well used, but charismatic elements of, of that show. And I know there are people who will appreciate just having Tom Felton on their TV or Stephen Weber shows up and Richard Schiff shows up. And so there, there are people, uh, this is a cast full filled with actors that people will recognize and appreciate. Um, again, it's just a little too familiar for me to, to set out time during the summer. This does feel like a perfect kind of summer show though, where during the fall, there's no time for a show like this during the summer, maybe catch a marathon and, you know, depending on what kind of show you're looking for, you could certainly do worse. And I appreciate this sort of direction from TNT. I'm way more interested in a show like this than I am. Uh, many of the, you know, your Rizzolian Isles or your, what was that show last summer about the, the cops who are undercover at the beach or something. Graceland. Uh, yeah, Graceland. This, you know, so it's a step in the right direction, I suppose. But uh, again, very, very familiar. Um, so, are, do either of these capture your interest? Pique your interest? Uh, I know nothing about murder in the first, other than what you just said. Uh, I will be covering power for the site, so I, I will be very familiar with it. Fair enough. Well, uh, let's move on to this week in genre and drama. And first up, we have make Sean watch the supernatural pilot. What did you think? <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed this, and I was thinking, like, if this had premiered this past fall with everything, it would have been like this in Sleepy Hollow, right at the top. So, um, little details, like, Dean and I would get along famously. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as Sam comes in and, like, goes through his cassette collection, it's Black Sabbath, Motorhead, and, uh, Metallica, and, but then ACDC comes on the radio, which was, not one of those bands, which is fine. But uh, <laughs> has his voice like significantly deepened in recent the sh- seasons? The show's been on ten years. I yeah, mean, come on. How, how young was he though? They were he in like... like their early twenties. Okay, 
he sounds so different, but yeah, I guess that's... I know. When you go back, if you've seen it now, you go back, you watch the pilot, they're like little babies. They're, <laughs> they're so young. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm glad you liked it. It was actually like really creepy. You know, a lot of the, the imagery, the, the people on the roof who are burning and then the woman in white was really well done. It Sarah was, Shahi. Yeah, it was a good kind of X-Files-ish pilot that, so they even make reference to that. So he's like, you know, hello, Agent Mulder, hello, Agent Skull, or whatever. And, uh, and that was good. So I, I'm imagining that this will be on my, my summer schedule for catching up with. I'm glad, yeah, because that's the thing about Supernatural. You watch it now, and there are, it's easy to, to not see these elements because our characters are now 10 years into being badass monster hunters, but take them 10 years earlier, uh, and they're not, you know, they haven't died a bajillion times, and... <laughs> You know, had like I don't want to say anything because I don't want to spoil stuff for you. But they have not overcome the various hurdles and trials they've had to overcome, and so lower level stuff is a lot scarier for them and is a lot more dangerous. And I, that was what really struck me when I first watched the Supernatural pilot. Is it's spooky as hell. I mean, the the the, the imagery of of the the mom is just incredibly effective and um yeah even just like the the way they shoot the that opening shot of like the tree where it looks like the tree is kind of coming into the house it's just like sort of foreboding imagery leading to you know the the death that sets so much of this the show in, in uh, the events of the show into motion but yeah it's it's creepy there's some there's some stuff especially as you get into second third fourth season where it's like how did they get away with this <laughs> on the CW, like on on you know the WB first, and then you know the CW. It's it's remarkable. So I'm I'm glad you're watching it. And when you talk about the the music on the show, Supernatural has some of the best soundtrack choices throughout its its run. But again, especially when it was much more, it's 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 a western. It's two guys not on their horses, but in their classic car driving around the country solving problems and and killing monsters. It's it's very much it's have gun will travel but with a rock soundtrack and um, there there's a lot to appreciate about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're going to check up, check up with it and let me know when you get to season two, season three, there's, there's many an episode I would love to rewatch of, of supernatural. So enjoy, enjoy. Okay. Let's, let's go on to game of Thrones, uh, the mountain and the Viper. Of course, the sound on site game of Thrones podcast uh, will be either is already out in your feed or will be out in your feed soon. Um, I talked with uh, with my wonderful guests over there, but uh, what did you think of of this episode? Um, structured really well in terms of trying to build the tension, although a lot of the stuff that like came before the the climax wasn't that great. This was maybe one of the most uneven episodes of this season, probably. Um, I will say though that I absolutely loved the the scenes between Grey Worm and Miss Andy. Like that is really working for me in ways that I didn't think that it, it would. So that was fun. What did you think of Sansa? Sansa, they are like deviating quite a bit from like how some of this happens like chronologically in the book. And like she's a much better character right now, I think. And her performance during that questioning was really convincing. Yeah, I mean, and that's interesting because for me it was the most consistent episode of this. I liked everything in this episode. So people can hear my my further thoughts in the the Game of Thrones podcast. Uh, any thoughts on our climactic duel? 
Yeah, I mean, like, we always, like, as viewers who, like, don't do TV criticism or anything, you know, you're familiar with, like, actors, and that's about it. Maybe we know a bit more about showrunners, writers, directors. I got to give a shout out to, I, I don't have the name at the ready, unfortunately, but whoever was doing the stunts in that for uh, for Pedro Pascal, like, that was amazing. And that person deserves all the credit in the world. Like, that was a joy to watch. And that fight was shot beautifully. For all of, like, the problems with the earlier Alice Gray's episode from this season, like, he's proven himself to be one of the best Game of Thrones directors, in my opinion. So that was a very well done sequence and next week we'll have the return of one of our other favorite game of thrones directors neil marshall directing uh the watchers in the wall episode nine uh we'll talk about that next week but for now let's move on to penny dreadful demi mond what did you think got a lot Uh, more uh heart heart net this week yes which was good because some of the other stuff was kind of lacking again this is probably the most uneven episode of penny dreadful for me this season um but that relationship between him and what the character of Dorian Gray can provide for him, which is somewhat of a reprieve from all of the shit that's been happening, so that he can kind of just be around somebody who appreciates the beauty of other things. That was a huge plus and a good way to end the episode, I thought. Yeah, I was I was good with that part of the Dorian Gray storyline, but here's my issue with Penny Dreadful. I don't care about half of the storylines. So I do not care. I care about Victor Frankenstein. I really liked his scene with uh with the the Timothy Dalton's character whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, I really appreciate that scene. I do not care about his monster. I'm like, why doesn't he just kill his monster? His monster's telling him he needs to kill people, you know, some cute girl, some hottie so he can have a a lifeline an immortal bride. No thought as to whether this person will like him or want to spend time with him, but you know, whatever. Like, I don't know why I do not care about that character at all. I do not care about everything that they're trying to do with uh, Vanessa and Dorian Gray. That is not working for me at all. Uh, the stuff with um, Dracula's creepy kid or whatever that did work for me, Fenton, in, in a big way. Um, but yeah, it's it's very, yeah, it's very splintered. As I'm watching this episode in particular, like you said, it's not consistent at all. And um, if there are characters that aren't working for you, it can be a problem. I imagine for a lot of people, it's similar to Game of Thrones, where if you don't like, if you're not interested in certain parts of the world, then when you get to an episode that's heavy with that, it's just kind of a letdown. Uh, what are the parts that of this episode that really did work best for you? Uh, you mentioned that Frankenstein and, and Caliban wasn't really great and i would agree with that but the scenes that we get with him with caliban orchestrating the behind the scenes stuff of the play i thought that that was a lot of fun it doesn't really like fit tonally with what the show i think is trying to do in terms of being a horror series and it's kind of weird how it's not really scary at all anymore um but that sequence was kind of beautiful in the way that a few of the earlier ones have been as well Fair enough. Uh, any other thoughts on Penny Dreadful, or should we move on to Fargo? Let's go to Fargo. Fargo, who shaves the barber, and um, you know what? This this episode for me comes down to that final moment. I loved the final moment of this because for me that was Molly. Uh, that was Molly faced with the parable from two weeks ago of it's only a fool tries to solve the world's problems, and here she is. 
she's uh <laughs> she didn't donate her organs but you know, lost her spleen and she's so tired and she's so hurt you can it's like you can see her thinking but you have to try and trying to decide if, if that's what she feels right now and um i just thought it was so wonderfully especially that moment so wonderfully done uh what stood out for you in this week's episode of fargo uh, you talk about the final moments. I'd mentioned the very first one, which is this rewind where we were uh, focused on Gus and just the visualization of that and obviously him wanting to reverse everything that's happened to this point was a really beautiful directorial uh, touch. So that was good. This obviously fell slightly flat coming off that last episode, but this is still a very solid first season. Um we keep seeing Malvo like not run into any problems, so it it will interest me to see how they handle that because uh, a villain who gets away with everything is not necessarily an interesting one. Uh, how how much success do you think Lester will have moving forward? <sighs> Probably a little bit more, and this kind of relates to the earlier earlier comment that you mentioned about the police's uh, just ability to not do its job so it seems like he shouldn't be as well off right now as he is that the framing of his brother shouldn't have worked that well and yet i can see that continuing even further before the eventual downfall yeah my note for that is lester he's smiling when he's describing what's happened because he can't help it you see him like start to like just enjoy this this story he's telling and that they're buying it, that his, you know, former col uh, classmate is, is just buying it hook, line, and sinker. And uh, Molly would have seen right through it. But Odenkirk's character is too close to, to Lester and feels like he knows who Lester is. And so he's not seeing the obvious telegraphing of, you know, like he's just smirking at how clever he is. And, um, it will be, you know, it's very, it's dark, you know, his, what, what he does in this episode and how successful he is at doing it. Um, and his comeuppance, which will happen, either Molly will die or she will, she will solve it. And I think they, I don't think they're going to kill Molly. Um, his comeuppance will be sweet. Agreed. Let's move on to Orphan Black, Knowledge of Causes and Secret Motion of things uh sean love is all around us <laughs> that it is that it is <laughs> what'd you think uh did you enjoy uh did you enjoy rehab and uh, vic being assaulted by glitter and <laughs> and all of that or were you more about the cosima and delphine side of things uh, i don't know if i was more about that but that was uh a thread that probably wasn't very interesting in the beginning of the season, and now they're really paying it off well. And so if it's not the most entertaining of the scenes in the past couple episodes, it's been the source of probably the best dramatic material for me, and maybe set up as well in terms of tying in Leaky, who, who will no longer be tied in. Yeah. Uh, so that happened. It's like they it's like they said, huh, this leak of guy's not working. Let's get Michelle Forbes. She's awesome. And so now she'll be our, our bad guy. What do we do with Leaky? It's been a while since anybody watched Pulp Fiction, right? Yeah. And so they're and they I mean they make Donnie uh oh Donnie and Allison such wonderful 
partners there. So they both now killed or been responsible for the accidental death of someone. And uh, yeah, that, that that last moment was, was delightful. <laughs> if you can say that about somebody getting their head blown off. Yeah. And then uh, elsewhere, we had uh, Cal return. I was very glad to see him back. Any thoughts? I really, uh, probably more than any of the other new supporting characters who have been introduced, he's the one who I have the most fun with. And not like because it's played lightheartedly, but just because he's really good in that role. And that character serves a lot of purposes, I think, in terms of uh, grounding Sarah in a way that she doesn't have to like be so on the defensive all the time that she can let her guard down just a little bit. So I really hope that we get a lot more of him. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Helsinki is a cliffhanger, uh, this season, if, if we see her, you know, her end the season by going off with Kira and Cal and then we pick up next season sometime. Uh, I've really enjoyed Michael Weisman on the show and, uh, what, what he's brought and it, that it's allowed them to take time away from, Kira and away from some of this other stuff while Sarah focuses on the many other things going on right now without having to put either Felix or, or Mrs. S in the role of babysitter. So I've, I've very much appreciated that. Uh, I really liked the handling of Rachel uh, seeing her father again. I liked the way that they kind of kept their distance from that and uh, I thought the score was very good there. I, I have more a lot more thoughts on this episode but you guys can read my review up at Sound on Sight. Uh, final thoughts on Orphan Black. Uh, is this the second to last episode? The, no, there are. This was episode seven. There is. There are three left. Three left. Okay. So th- there'll be more to talk about. There'll be more to talk about. Cause let's let's go to episode four of the season of In the Flesh. This is another episode that I was really moved by. I really appreciated. Um, we're now, you know, there's only two episodes left of of In the Flesh season two, and still no one is watching it. Uh, what what did you think of this episode? I don't think it was dinner, but whatever that dining room scene was that was amazing like really really good and among the best sequences that they've done I think because it starts off like as you'd expect it and Gary's an asshole but then just Luke Newberry's delivery of of Kieran's story of his rising and then just kind of like being on the brink of lashing out like that was a wonderful wonderful performance yeah, it was it was incredibly well done and structured. I, I, I and I very much appreciate how it ties in with our characters and also progresses the plot by revealing it, to the surprise of no one that Kieran is is likely the the first risen and that adds so much more. But the way it progresses him and for me the, for me the moment that just killed me in this episode is we get the counterpoint to his episode one inability to look in the mirror. And we get him just just sitting, shoulders down, uh, and just he looks at himself. He takes out his contacts. He starts wiping off his uh, his moose, and it was it was it was absolutely beautiful while also being heartbreaking at the same time. It was such a wonderful moment. Big shout out to Philip as well, who yeah. gets a very heroic moment where he stands up for the PDS sufferers, and he gets rewarded in kind by. It looks like Amy's going to be involved with him to some degree. So I'm, I'm surprised by how happy I am for his happiness. Yeah, and it's not even that he gets rewarded. It's that he demonstrates who he is, and he he cho- he makes his choice as to what kind of a person he's going to be, and 
by committing to being that person, to being that person that his mother know, knows that she raised and that his neighbor sees in him and that presumably Amy saw in him that, you know, that, that, that is what makes him who, he, who, you know, when he goes and stands up next to the other, uh, brothel, uh, the, next to the other Johns, you know, that, that is, that is a bold choice for him. And it's just, it's wonderful to see. Cause I, I tweeted this out. I don't think there's a character on TV right now. I hate more than Maxine. I, I like, pure vitriol i hate that character that's and that's what you're supposed to you're supposed to but man are they doing that well i think oh, yeah. i might hate her more than i hated joffrey this time last year i don't know she, yeah she's way up there and with the the tiberius of of season three of Spartacus, yeah i'm it, it will be good if philip is the counterpoint to that rather than it being whatever simon and kieran are doing i'd like to see because he was under her wing in terms of what they're doing with the the local council and to have him stand up to her as the climax to that arc would be probably my preferred outcome. Any other thoughts on, on this episode and what to expect from the last two? No idea. Like the, the next week on was interesting and I won't mention that in case viewers haven't seen that. But again, the bottom line is if you're not watching in the flesh, you're doing it wrong. Yep. Definitely. Well, what wins your week in genre and drama? I think I'm gonna go within the flesh. Yeah, me too. I, I really liked I really liked Orphan Black again. Uh, it's having a really great season. I liked I liked uh, Game. Well, I mean, Game of Thrones it has its own podcast. Uh, I would probably I guess go with Game of Thrones, but really, in the flesh did have that emotional wallop that uh, that even. You know, all but the best scene in in Game of Thrones didn't really have in the same way. So, yeah, let's give it to In the Flesh. Watch this show. Okay. <laughs> okay, moving on. A few show notes. Uh, you can find a post for this episode up at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you uh, you thought of, of this week's TV and of CBS this this past year as well as Fox, which we'll talk about next next week. You can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings-on at Sound TV. You can send us an email, theteleverse at gmail.com. And, uh, of course, you can always leave us a rating or a review in iTunes. We would very much appreciate it, and it does help other people find the podcast. You can also follow, you can also, uh, follow us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are? At Sean Coletti. And, Sean, what is our question of the week? Well, seeing as I'm in the midst of Cartoon June... I want to know what everybody's favorite animated series are. Ooh, current or all time? All time, which I know is a huge, huge question. And I've talked with a few of my friends recently about this. And like delineating between American animated and Japanese animated is also like a big issue. Because I don't know if I would pick Cowboy Bebop or Batman the Animated Series, but those two would probably be way up there for me. Definitely, definitely way up there. And I mean, I always just have to give some love to the old school shorts, man. What's Opera Doc? And, and, uh, you know, I love me a, a classic Bugs Bunny or, or like Duck Amuck or, or, um, Tom and Jerry. I have a big place in my heart for that stuff as well. So, yeah. One of these days we'll do Animaniacs on the DVD shelf and I'll be super excited as well. All, all of those cartoons that I, that I grew up with, like Batman the Animated Series, the X-Men cartoon. Come on, <laughs> that was, guys. That was solid, absolutely. Definitely. Or um, uh, uh, this past year, I really liked watching Gravity Falls. And, uh, of course, Adventure Time is killing it right now. So a lot of great a lot of great contenders. Let us know your picks. Yeah, good question. Okay, so now we'll take a break, and we'll come back with Zach Hanlon of the AV Club to talk about another contender 
for, for great cartoons, and that's Invader Zim. We'll be right back after this. I would like to introduce the newest hopeless appendage to the student body. His name is Zim. Zim, if you have something to say, say it now. Because after this moment, I don't want to hear another sound from you! Hello, friends. I am a perfectly normal human worm baby. You have nothing, absolutely nothing to fear from me. Just pay no attention to me and we'll get along just fine. Take your seat now, Zim. Today's lecture is about outer space and how it will eventually implode in on itself. Yes, Zim? In the event of, say, a full-scale alien invasion, how prepared do you think this planet's defenses would be? Tell me. Am I the only one here who sees the aliens sitting in class? That is no kid. He's an alien. An alien! One of the monsters I've been talking about! He's here to conquer Earth. Oh, not this again. You're crazy. What about his horrible green head? Insolent fool boy! It's a skin condition. with the televerse this is kate Kalsik, joined as ever by sean coletti and this week at the dvd shelf i'm such a happy me because we're talking invader zim with zach handlin from the av club zach welcome back to the podcast thank you for having me now what made you want to talk about invader zim uh well it was <laughs> it was a show i owned and you guys have done a lot of other stuff no uh it's one of those cult cartoons that doesn't really get talked about that much anymore um and uh i mean it's not perfect but it's, it's pretty nifty and i, I feel like it, it deserves to get its moment in the sun it's such a fun show and i didn't have cable growing up uh at all i think we got cable in like in high school when i was in high school so i i you know this was in that time but i certainly wasn't watching nickelodeon when i was in high school come on i was a cool high school student <laughs> Uh, so I, I missed much of Invader Zim on its initial run. It aired in uh, 2001, 2002, and then they there were some uh, unaired episodes uh, screened in 2006. But at some point, uh, I was introduced to it. I don't really know how. I'm guessing YouTube may have been involved. But I had a really strong connection with it, and I was very pleased when I went back to rewatch that. Uh, in, in the past two days, I've just basically only been watching Invader Zim. Uh, it's been wonderful. And I was very pleased to see that the show absolutely lives up to to my memory of it. And it hasn't aged. It doesn't. It hasn't uh, suffered from uh, from that distance. And I, I was really happy to be able to wholeheartedly recommend it to our listeners. No, no, it hasn't aged. Um, I, I still find this, I mean, the tension that, that was always the most fascinating thing about it is this, you have this guy. Now, how do you pronounce his first name? I know it's Vasquez, but is it is it Yonan Vasquez or Jonan Vasquez? Sure, uh, I don't. Jonan know. Vasquez. Um, look him up. No, uh, I, I before I, I saw, I think before I saw Invader Zim, or even either either that or after I'd heard about it, 
um because i was in college when this show debuted oh god i'm old um he was he actually made his name uh writing a, a comic book called johnny the homicidal maniac um and it is a really disturbing comic book that's kind of all of the sort of nihilistic and misanthropic tendencies of the TV show without any sort of mitigating humor or, or any sort of like cuteness to it. Um, so it's the, like, I really didn't like that, but the art in it was really cool. Like he had that sort of cartoony style and then watching Zim, what's fascinating to me about Zim is that that's that constant sort of tension between the, the Vasquez, the part of Vasquez's brain that clearly just wants to murder everyone and laugh. And the part of him that actually has to work within the confines of a, of a nominal kids television program. And he, I don't even think, like, I think that one of the reasons they canceled it was because it was so dark. Because, I mean, maybe, to modernize, it's probably, you know, it doesn't seem that, that creepy. But this was Nickelodeon. And, uh, and, and to watch, like, an episode where, where the, where the, the villain goes around stealing people's organs and have it shot like a high, horror movie. And at the end, the villain just wins. Um, it, it's a very, I don't want to say unsettling show, but I, I do find it routinely fascinating how, um, it, it just doesn't feel like anything you would have expected. It's, it has like, like Ren and Stimpy had sort of the grossness and said it had sort of the carnage to it, that, like that sort of chaotic energy. But Zim looks like it should be this kind of cute, friendly, like, oh, this, you know, everything's purple. It's like a kid's cartoon. And then you kind of start to watch it. You realize that it's, there is some dark undercurrents. So I, I yeah, I, I still enjoy that. Yeah. And what I, you know, what I thought was most interesting upon rewatching it was that the, the show hasn't changed, obviously, but my perception of it had shifted dramatically because when I, that was, you know, like you said, the darkness is what really hit me when I was first watching it. I was like, this is some disturbing, creepy stuff that's, that, you know, is airing on Nickelodeon. And then now I watch it and I'm like, oh, it's so adorable. It's just so <laughs> cute. Um, and of course, a big part of that is Gur. But uh, but yeah, the, the way that our perceptions of specifically children's programming, but in general, just TV have shifted in the past, you know, almost uh, 10 years, eight years since the last episodes aired on TV is, is rather dramatic. Uh, Sean, what was your relationship with Invader Zim? Had you seen any of it before? Uh, I had not, not one episode, actually. I stopped watching Nickelodeon a little bit before this, and, and even a couple of the popular shows that came before this, like Wild Thornberries and Rocket Power. I think I've only seen, like, a couple episodes of those. Um, and I had heard from some friends as it was airing that Invader Zim was worth checking out. I had just never gotten around to it. So until a few days ago, I had literally not watched one episode, and I just watched the entire thing. And I'm very glad because I don't know if I would have gotten around to this had we not done it for the podcast. But what you guys are saying about that darkness uh, is a huge attractive feature, I think, for me. Um, All Real Monsters had a little bit of that. And and Rocco kind of had a combination of the grossness that you mentioned, Zach, with regards to Ren and Stimpy, but also some of this darker material. But man, yeah, like there are people who die in the background of this, like off screen. Like there's there's no other way. And, like, that's that's kind of heavy for a children's program. Well, and, uh, it, I mean, it is. And even just down to the visual style of it, I really appreciate the look of the show. And there's, you know, it, it's like, it's like a Tim Burton-inspired show, but without the over-the-top, potentially pretentious Tim Burtoniness. So, like, all the angles on the house, like, all, all the, the house itself, but the windows and everything are askew and you know burtony maybe but it also still feels very much of a piece and it um 
it's just tightened enough that it is no that it is um an an intriguing and fun element to the show but it doesn't feel hampered by that and that that's something i really appreciate even just in the cinematography there's also there's a bunch of genre inspired touches dutch angles mm. out the wazoo i mean there's there's a lot of really great uh, creative visuals to go along with this darker aesthetic the the portrayal of human beings in this is fantastic because of how gross they are they're either like drooling or one of their eyeballs is popping out or they all have band-aids on their faces or something or they're swarming with germs <laughs> it, it's also a weird show in that it watching as adult there really is i mean you can kind of root for dib and you kind of root for zim you like both of them because they're like the major characters but not both of them are like really uh, well zim is obviously not heroic but even dib is kind of pathetic i mean there's just something like there's something something kind of i don't want to say downbeat but it is not a show that has offers any sort of like again like it has the red and snippy thing where it's not a show that offers you any sort of like comforting sane worldview it's just you know everybody kind of sucks and 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 the only like kid you can even kind of relate to is obsessed with with getting this other kid his organs ripped out um it's like they're best friends but they hate each other (laughs) Well, and and the thing with the thing with Dib is that he's just sort of obnoxious, and yeah. you absolutely you you understand where that's coming from because no one will believe him. But then he's also going on about the ninja ghost in his bathtub or something, and yeah. uh, and how of course Bigfoot has to be real. And so yeah, I really appreciate the way that they shade both of these characters. And it, I mean, so much of what the show comes down to is that Zim wants to take over the world, but he just he sucks at it so much. That you can really enjoy the exploits, uh, yeah. As he goes, because you know he's not going to succeed, and sir, people might die off screen. But on the most part, on the most part, he's just going to fail at his at his larger goals. He does actually save the earth a few times, um, and then also the main thing, it's just very funny. And it's just so weirdly funny too. Sometimes, like the randomness of it. Um, it's so cool. I mean, that, obviously, that's much more of a thing now with you know Adult Swim cartoon that that sort of changed the um kind of cartoon style humor but this there's that there's that bit in the uh in the pilot that i just love where jim's like i have the blood of conquerors inside me radioactive pants will be the pants and it's like well okay so it says he says radioactive pants marching inside his blood which you'd think the joke would make more sense if it was radioactive ants or something but they went with pants and it's just kind of like i don't know how that works but it's really funny to me like it's the commitment of the voice actors to selling the most bizarre uh either bizarre inflections or just bizarre turns of phrase with no real effort to explain or justify them is just just is terrific well and that's what so much of this comes down to for me I, i tweeted this earlier but i swear i could listen to richard stephen horvitz and roserick ricky simons uh say anything in these mm. voices as as Zim and as Gurr, and it would be hilarious. The phone book, it doesn't really matter. Anything they say as Zim or as Gurr, if they have enough uh, emphasis and conviction behind it, I laugh, or at the very least smile. I absolutely love Gurr. The, voices, the voice acting that you mentioned is fantastic. One thing I would add onto that for my personal enjoyment of the show is the amount of visual gags that are just mm. extraordinarily funny. Um, t- there's an episode that begins with Zim talking, I think, to the the Almighty Tallest, and there's a turkey in the background, and I didn't even think that that was going to be used, but it's just something that you pinpoint, and then Gurr pops out of the turkey. There was uh, 
when during the Battle of the Planets episode when Dim's talking to uh, one of the the officials and he has this cup of coffee that actually has like 40 gallons worth of coffee in it because it keeps spilling everywhere. Just little things like that that aren't necessarily part of the voice acting really, really worked for me. Yeah. Well, and those two, I mean, I guess there are really, Dib is a central character as well, but but for me, this show does come down very much to Zim and Gurr, and they 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 contrast each other so very well, but the, the way that the show captures just energy and fun and childlike sort of wonder with that Gurr character is incredibly infectious. And at the same time, well, at the same time, acknowledging how how irritating such a character would be to have to work with in real life, like like there's no, uh, it gets a nice a nice balance. He's just 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 that again with the pilot, just the opening thing of like six months later of him singing just singing the doom song, because like he never there's no real flagging, there's no like that's the character he's relentlessly enthusiastic, and he's so annoying to every other character as well. I just watched the last one that I watched was the Christmas episode and the the fake Santa that they're talking to. Gurr's just on there saying everything that he wants for several hours, and it's just really pissing off the Santa, so it's it's a whole lot of fun. Uh, good times. Well, we should talk about some of the other characters as well, and we'll get into episodes, but uh, when we talk about the design of the show, one of the, the most entertaining and most uh, memorable, I guess I would say, character designs has to be Miss Bitters. <laughs> yeah. Who's like some combination of a snake and a vulture and an eel with her twisty neck. It's just, it's a, and the spider, of course. It's just such a wonderful character design. This is, of course, uh, Zim is uh, trying to, actually, why am I doing this? Zach, I'm going to make you do it. Let's give oh. a brief synopsis for those who haven't seen Invader Zim. What is this show about? Well, uh, the Urken race are their fearsome conquerors, um, and Zim is determined to, to, to be to be one of them, but he's not very well liked. He's, he's quite short and very small, and he's very inept. The first time they actually gave him an assignment, he managed to destroy half the planet because he wouldn't he didn't realize they hadn't left the planet with the robot. Oh, God, the next stage, too. It's like, uh, but I put out the fires. You made them worse. Or worse or better. It's just, oh, God. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm sorry. I'm terrible, by the way. But no, and uh, so in order to get rid of him, um, the 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 tallest, which is the name of their leaders, uh, they they look around on the map and they see this little sticky note stuck to the very far end of the map that says "planet" within a question mark next to it, and they send him in that direction. So he just drives in his little spaceship for like six months, and he winds up on Earth. So he decides he has to. It's like he's been assigned to conquer Earth. So he he decides to infiltrate Earth society by. Create like building this this tall skinny house and having these robot parents that aren't really robots they're just sort of like decoys and going to school and learning Earth customs um, so he can you know just destroy the world or dominate the world. And of course, Gur is his robot assigned to assist him, yes. but they weren't going to give him an actual useful robot, so they literally threw it together out of the trash. Uh, his disguise on Earth, uh, Zim has a disguise that makes him look more human, but with green skin. And, and Gurr's disguise is as a dog. Uh, it's crazily adorable. Dib is the neighbor who's a paranormal enthusiast uh, and also a totally uh, neglected child as well as his sister by their brilliant father. And, and so he's trying to cap capture Zim. And then their teacher at school, who I was just mentioning, is Miss Bitters, uh, who is the stereotypical uh, sort of hag-ish uh, teacher. And, and that, that 
vocal performance, but even more than that, just the character design of Miss Bitters is delightful. She also is like the source of social commentary for the series regarding like the education and political systems, which I found hilarious. I, I really appreciate the, that commentary and how you, if you want to explore it, it's very much there. But if you want to just focus in on Ger being adorable or Zim being inept, you can. It's when it's hard to you know sidestep the the political commentary or something like uh, an episode like Germs where they're. The, they go to this fast food restaurant and everything's like the meat isn't actually made of anything. It's made of, I think, like Kleenex or something or cardboard. There's a lot of uh, social commentary in there about corporations, about uh, the government, about the educational system. But if you want to ignore it, you can. And I, I appreciate the way it, it balances everything. See, uh, for me, that's that's probably I, I wouldn't say it's a it's a it's a drawback to the show. I do think that that Vasquez's worldview is kind of frustratingly shallow and relentlessly negative. Um, I think it, what I think makes the show work is that contrast. Again, like I was saying before, not to repeat myself, but um, for me, I just love the fact that you have this. You know, it's a world. It's an incredibly alienated world. Like uh, like I was like I was saying before, you know, Dib's kind of annoying, but there's also no sense that there's any sort of safe place in this world. Like all the people are kind of weird and creepy. Like Dad is, you know, an obsessive scientist who's creating these destru- destructive machines. The teachers despise the students. The students all seem to kind of hate each other. The closest, the closest, like warmest relationships are probably uh, Zim and Gur, and, and between Dib and his sister. And his sister just, you know, will punch him at any excuse. Um, and there's this the sort of the constant like everything is 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 everything is crappy like everything is awful like corporations are awful fast foods are awful people are ugly and stupid and and there's something kind of if you kind of poke into that i don't think it's a particularly deep or or kind of meaningful commentary on society but i do think the the creativity with which he expresses it is 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 makes it worth watching like I don't think the actual show has anything particular, like all that interesting to say about hey, fast food is gross. It just seems to be the work of someone who has like seriously does not like people. But like the in like the 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 imagination that he uses to express that dislike is in its own kind of weird way incredibly inviting and enjoyable. Well, and it also matches Zim's experience. Uh, getting to to know Earth, you know, yeah. it matches that outsider experience, and with this this level of disdain for everything that he sees. Whereas Gur loves everything, so he loves TV, he loves tacos, he loves everything, and so th- that sort of uh, nihilistic approach to the world does very much match him, and is counterbalanced by that enthusiasm from Gur, at least for me. Yeah, I'm just thinking about what both of you are saying. The the example of the social commentary that maybe stood out to me the most was um, the episode in which Gaz wants to go to to Blody's for like the once a year dinner with their with, dad. With their dad, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> okay, just really sad. Yeah, it's super sad, but it's also the episode is still fun. Like, how do you take that? You know, the fact that the absentee father is going to have one dinner all year with uh, the family and the the son is so obsessed with Zim that he's going to screw it all up. And so the daughter has to go out of her way to kidnap her brother so that she can have this semblance of family together. How do you make that anything other than completely depressing 
and they do. It has to be because it's filtered through this kind of dark tone and point of view, so it kind of all works well together. Um, yeah. Because there are things that should be a lot more terrifying than they actually are. Like, Bloaty himself, when we finally do get an image of him outside of the costume, it's just horrendous. Like, he's this massively obese person who was even, like, bigger outside of the costume. Well, and the, uh, just again, the, the, the notion of this being a happy, positive experience for that family is completely undermined by everything you see around them at at the restaurant. And when you talk about that character of the, of the sister, I also appreciate that there, you know, there are the influence, the influences that you can see in this. Uh, there, there are several different ones. We've already talked a little bit about uh, some of the, the visual and design aesthetic, but with her specifically, and I know I'm a newbie to this and I'm not anywhere near experienced enough to give a legit reading, but it seems to me like she's very anime inspired. Would you guys agree with that? Um, I, I think I think she's I kind of got a goth girl vibe off her from that it's kind of like a thing that Vasquez seems to repeat from his earlier work this sort of like um but yeah no her, her t-shirt had an uh, had a cartoon on it like an anime like a the possible anime thing on it didn't it certainly possible yeah i mean she has relatively like spiky hair um she's almost always seen with her eyes closed she carries around her portable gaming system all the time, so I could see yeah. maybe some influences from the Japanese culture there, absolutely. Well, and then those episodes, there's only a couple of them where she's very much featured. I, there are there are shots and uh, techniques in those episodes that feel like they're out of an, um, like they're out of an anime. So like the way that the she'll uh, the, some of the action is 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 shown. Particularly, I'm thinking of the episode where she's trying to get the gaming system. And so she goes on this quest to to get the gaming system from the guy who took it from her. I think it's a like Game Slave Two. I think is what it, the system is called. There's just a few shots in there that felt very reminiscent of that. So I was appreciating that uh, sort of aesthetic and that that inspiration. Did you guys notice any other uh, visual or narrative uh, touches that you felt like either in, inspired others later or were inspired by someone that our listeners might be familiar with? Mm-hmm. That's a big question. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I do know, I do remember the the Dark Harvest episode, the one where he goes around giving is in gets goes around giving organs. There's like a really great sequence in some sort of God. It's like in the high school. It's a room in the high school, but it's like in some sort of weird lab that has all kinds of stuff stuck in it, and it 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 plays out like with very little humor as a horror movie. I mean, that whole that whole episode is is remarkably disturbing like like zim basically decides that he needs to convince everyone in order to pretend that he he's like human he needs to just have a ton of organs so he goes around just swiping people's organs and replacing them with junk and it's it's and they don't like and they don't mitigate it in any other way like it's deeply creepy to watch and when he gets like all the organs like he'll open his mouth there's this bit where he opens his mouth to laugh and a, a, like an intestine rolls out and then he sucks it back in. it's just like oh my god i can't believe that happened but like there's 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 that sequence where he's socking dib or dibs like being socked and it felt very horror movie-ish um and that, that's kind of i mean the show doesn't it usually keeps itself goofy enough to get not get completely horror, but there's always this undercurrent of menace that I help, think helps to make make it, it funnier. Um, that's not exactly what you asked, but sort of close. <laughs> Thinking right now, I remember one which was uh, during the the lice episode. There was that really nice homage to aliens with the the massive lice queen, 
and the specific line of dialogue, close your eyes, baby. And that was the only one I could think of right now. Well, and, and uh, those are two great examples of episodes that clearly have stood out to us. Did you guys have a favorite episode or two that, uh, that you particularly enjoyed on this rewatch? It's got to be a room with a moose for me. Like, I, I, <laughs> just that concept, because so many of Sim's plans are incredibly dumb. And this one's got to be way up there that now all the students, as revenge, are going through a wormhole where they're going to end up in a room oh, yeah. with a moose. Yeah. And every oh, time we cool. cut to the image of that moose and he's just standing there chomping, I'm like, this is, this is so horribly anticlimactic. But I was laughing the whole time. And it's like a moose who's eating walnuts or acorns or something, and the fact that he's eating nuts somehow makes it more terrifying and horrifying and all of that. It's just, yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> Zach? Uh, I guess I'd probably just go with Dark Harvest. I unfortunately didn't get a chance to rewatch as much as I would have hoped for, and there are other great episodes. There's also the, I also love the, the hamster getting one, which in which he kind of mocks the idea at the end of how kids' cartoons have to show that people survive by, like, like having this little card saying everyone was happy at the end, very clearly that the giant cute hamster was, was murdered. <laughs> <laughs> or there's even that moment uh, in one of the other episodes where there's been some giant like shootout or something. And, and Zim uh, has catapulted some ship with soldiers or police or somebody away. And uh, people express horror. He's like, Oh no, they got out. It, they'll be fine. They, they, oh they, God. They, Oh, and then sorry. in the background, you see in the distance, the little fireball <laughs> continues and, and then just explodes while he, he practically, he might as well be whistling. It's, it's delightful. There's, there's a bit, it's, I forget which episode, but it's, uh, so the very start of an episode, I think it might've been the one. Oh, I like, I love, uh, Pistulio. Was that one? Was that one? Was that one called? The one was it where he like, he like gets a zit on the side of his face and it gets big enough that he draw that, that Gur draws a face on it and it like oh. becomes hypnotic. <sighs> That was so so gross. <laughs> it was, but I, I think it's a. It might be a, that one. Yeah, at the beginning of that one, he's like sitting in his laboratory, and there are these two tubes with a chicken in each tube, and he presses a button, and the first tube, the chicken gets sucked up into this little ship and then shot out, and you see on this map, this uh, a view screen of it getting like shot off the planet. And then, like, the Sim looks back at the other chicken, and the chicken stares at him. And just in the background, you can't quite see it. Like, all of a sudden, you see the sun on the monitor. So it's clearly implying that he just shot a ch chicken from Earth into the sun, and he's just getting ready to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just love how, like, it's not really a subtle joke in that clearly he and the chicken are having a, having a moment. But just the bit of the sun in the background, I just love how, like, as, as you guys, it's just so full of those little details for you to pick up on. The other episodes that come to mind for me right away, I know a lot of of uh, our, our listeners, they threw it out to Twitter. The The most popular response for people was bestest friend. Uh, where, oh, yeah. 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 Where, where Zim makes a friend so that he won't, so that he can blend in and then the friend won't go away. Uh, and of course, he has no use for him. Uh, so that was, that's a popular choice for people. The, the baloney episode is one of my favorites. Uh, Zim gets revenge upon Dib dib for uh mocking him in, in at school or something by making uh turning him into baloney basically and uh dib can't figure out why he smells and tastes delicious and starts getting followed around by dogs it's a whole thing it's it's rather rather wonderful but really the episodes that stood out even more for me are the ones that that differentiate from the norm that uh, diverge from the norm so when you have the 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 episode with uh what's her name 
attack the the other Urkin who shows up on Earth, or you have the episodes with with um, Dib's sister, or the the one where Dib is trying so hard to get onto his father's uh, show so that he can get a permission slip signed so that he can, it's a whole, but it, it focuses all on his, his quest to, to be selected to be in the audience for his father's show. Th- those are the ones that I think even more stood out, stood out for me. Uh, do we have any other final elements we want to discuss? Any, just anything that that girl watches on television and specifically the angry monkey, which ugh, is kind of terrifying. This show and monkeys and this show and pigs, right? It's like monkeys, pigs, and moose are they co- they're recurring elements and uh, they're kind of wonderful each time. The episode where where Zim has decides to terrorize Dib by replacing things in the, over the course of his timeline with with like rubber oh, pigs. That was brilliant. Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, it's just the most delightfully absurd and random. And there are elements here that remind me very much of a darker and uh, certainly less cuddly, um, the tick, the animated series, or yeah. even adventure time. There, there are elements of, uh, of whimsy, I guess that I very much see as a through line between all three of those shows. I just, Oh, there's actually is one thing I, I just realized. Um, I would like, I do think it's fascinating how the show is one of the few shows or the kids shows anyways I've seen it where it I might have started the trend of just sometimes it ends without Dib winning. Sometimes Zim just wins. Like mm-hmm. like in that Oregon episode or like plenty of episodes, it's just like it it, it actually it, it has this balance where they're sort of dual protagonists. Um and it doesn't bother to restore the you know, the status quo or anything. It just says, Yep, and that happened. And it's just <laughs> uh, At the end of I, the baloney one, they're both sausages. <laughs> <laughs> And then next week we're back to normal. No de-sausaging process that happens off screen, presumably. Uh, but yeah, and, and not feeling the need to adhere to that uh, that norm of, of children's programming is something I particularly appreciate. Definitely. The last thing that I wanted to mention, not to like end it on a down note, but I, I do kind of wish, and this might have just been because it didn't get to run long enough, that there had been a slightly larger cast of characters and, and maybe a little bit more specificity. So like... In the world of Hey Arnold, like I have a better sense of that location, that city, like some of the, the people and the places, the names, the proper nouns, and so maybe that was a little bit lacking in Invader Zim. But again, it only got to run for not even two seasons. One of the things for me uh, that I'll mention as sort of a I wish they had is that how do they have a paranormal investigator character that Dib interacts with a couple times? And have it just, re- it really does not draw from the X-Files. How do they not make that a Mulder stand-in? They could have had so much fun. I mean, I guess I should appreciate them going creating their own character, but I thought I felt like that was a missed opportunity. Zach, any any missed opportunities for you? Uh, I wish the show had run a little bit longer. I think that, uh, I mean, I think it was one of those things that was probably always going to be doomed eventually just because it was like, like it just didn't really fit on Nickelodeon. Um, but you know, you always wish you could. I also wish that it was more avail- easily available on uh, streaming services because I have, I mean, I have the the three DVD sets, um, but it's harder to recommend to people when they can't just easily pick it up somewhere. Which is a shame because it is it is a very watchable show. Sean and I, as we said, we watched the entire show in like 
two days. It is very marathonable if you want. But yeah, go to your local library, pick up the, the DVDs and watch it that way. Um, the last thing I will say is also, I just want to mention, as I always do, I do very much enjoy the score from composer Kevin Manthai. I think it does a really good job. And the theme music is by uh, Mark Tortoriki. Uh, and uh, so both the music is used very well and to, to great effect in the show. So any final thoughts besides people should watch it? I think people should watch it is the final thought, yeah. Sounds about right. So, Zach, thank you again for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find my work at the AV Club, where I review various shows, and you can find me on Twitter at ZHandlin. And thank you again, Zach, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse! Mm-hmm.